We have been seeing in God's word that Jesus called himself the light of the world. So uh, take your Bibles. We're going to continue to see what the Bible has to say to us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at uh, the third chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to be focusing on a portion that we didn't focus on in our services during uh, during our 40-day spiritual emphasis when we went through the first chapters of the Gospel of John. But we'll be looking at the third chapter. In these weeks, these last few weeks, when we've been looking at darkness and light, at the fact that Jesus came to bring illumination into our lives, we have seen some things that God's Word says to us. First, we have seen that every human being is a rebel has been a rebel, has rebelled against God, has refused to accept God as sovereign of our lives. And because of that, we live in darkness. We're unable to see what is really real. There is confusion in our lives. We cause damage and decay in one another's lives. And we have seen that there is nothing we can do to fix it. Nothing. I know that a number of us have tried at times to do something to try to compensate for what we have done in our past. And we try to fix things and we try to put things back together. But we can't. God knows that we can't. He knows that decay has set in. Remember, we used that, those two peppers as an illustration. And the rotten pepper. Don't you wish you'd been here to see that if you weren't? You know. The rotten pepper could do absolutely nothing to fix itself. It cannot restore itself. And we have seen that God's word says that's exactly where we are. We cannot restore ourselves. But we also saw in God's word that the son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who is indeed sovereign, became a human being on this planet, Jesus of Nazareth, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. For we cannot recreate ourselves successfully. We can try, but We end up with the same mess all over again. But he is the creator. He is the one who brings renewal and new life, who can restore and put things the way God had intended, what God has planned for us from the very beginning. So there's nothing we can do, but Jesus has done everything for us. So why work to do something to make things right? Jesus tells us to trust in him. And he will set things right. So we have seen we, human beings on the planet, have basically two options. One option is to live in darkness, in rebellion against God, saying, you will not be my sovereign. I will run my own life. I will be the sovereign, the ruler of my life. And with that comes the darkness, the confusion, the destruction, the decay, the ignorance, 
all of the things that's a part of stumbling around trying to find our way in total darkness. That is one option. There is another option. We can trust in Christ. This is the option of light. He said, I am the light of the world. We can trust in him. He will help us to see real reality. Instead of confusion, there will be clarity. Where there has in the past been destruction and decay and evil, he brings forgiveness, restoration, recreation, wholeness. So we have only the two options, the Word of God says. So what will we choose? Well, the truth is that human beings often choose darkness. Why would we do that? When you see the results of what darkness is going to bring, And you see what Jesus promises us. Why would we choose darkness instead of his light? Well, this is an important question for us because many of us still struggle, at least in some parts of our life, with whether or not we're going to trust Jesus Christ and allow his light to be what is ruling in our lives. Some of us really struggle. We say, oh, Jesus, in these pieces of my life, I will let you be the sovereign, but stay out of this stuff over here. I'll take care of this stuff. You just, you just run things over here. I'll be fine doing this stuff on my own. And so we don't trust him wholeheartedly. We only have a partial trust. So we don't really live in dark or in the light, we keep our feet in the darkness. We ask Jesus, come along and help me out as I live my life the way I want things to turn out. Why would we choose that instead of his light and freedom and love and restoration? Well, Jesus addressed that question in the verses we're going to read. So we're going to start at John 3.16, a very familiar Verse, but we're going to keep on reading to see what he has to say to us. So the gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. He starts off in these verses saying, God loves the world. That includes you. God loves you. This is what human beings don't believe. This is why we human beings have trouble trusting him. Have trouble allowing him to be sovereign in our lives. It's because we don't think he really loves us. Part of the reason for that is we have loved people and people have loved us or they have said they have loved us and then they have done things that have been very painful and hurtful. They have betrayed us. And you just have to be careful when you go around trusting in love. That's the attitude we have. We've been burned and worse. And so when it says God loves us, we human beings say, well, that's nice, but I'm going to be careful. And so we don't fully trust him. But in this verse, it says, whoever believes. Now, we've talked about this a lot before as we've gone through the book of John. Whoever believes, it means whoever trusts him absolutely, wholeheartedly, fully, without reservations. Take out all of the boundaries, all of the protective fences and guards. Whoever trusts him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes, he loves us, but we have believed Satan's lie instead, which is you can't trust God. Oh, I know he says he loves you, and I know he gives you some good things, but that's just to ensnare you and keep you subjugated because He is holding out on you. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we read in Genesis chapter 3. God knows there's a lot of good stuff and he's holding out on you. You can't trust him. And a lot of us, we might not put it exactly that way, but human beings have the tendency to say there is an awful lot of fun stuff in life I'm going to miss if I trust God. Why, you know what he says about this and about this and how to live this way and how to live that way. And, well, there are a lot of other options. I'm going to have such a limited life. I'm going to miss so much fun. So how has that been working out for us? Oh, yeah, it's fun for a few minutes. And then we get confronted with the destruction and decay and the pain that comes to us and to the people around us as we live our self-centered, I'm going to have fun and do it my way kind of life. 
So it doesn't work out. We're in darkness when we're doing that. We're refusing to accept the light, the truth from the Creator who made the truth. It's a lie from Satan. You can trust God because God is love. Now, the word that is used in the New Testament for the love of God is not a word that most human beings can, uh, can use for themselves because it is perfectly selfless love. God does not love us for what he can get out of us. Some people have the idea, God loves us so he, he can get us to do what he wants. No. Do you know what? God loves you whether you're doing what he wants or not. He just loves you with an extravagant love. In fact, in 1 John, the letter of 1 John in the Bible, it says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. The truth is, we human beings, we don't love selflessly. It's only when we allow God's love to come through us that selfless love comes out of us. Even husbands and wives who love each other expect something from their spouse. I know, you have kept score. You have. Oh, I love my spouse. Yes, but if your spouse doesn't respond in ways that you expect and you want your spouse to expect, uh, or, uh, you want your spouse to respond in a few days, if that keeps, it doesn't have to go for a week. If that keeps up for a few days, then you start feeling not so good about stuff. And stress starts coming into your home and your relationship. Because as much as you love your spouse, it's not perfectly selfless unless it is the love of God, not your love, that is coming through you. The word for God's love is agape. Perfectly selfless. God just loves. Lavishly pours out his love on you. You don't even have to want it. Tough. You get it. Because he just loves you. You may rebel against him. You may be one of the vilest, most wicked people on this earth. He loves you. That's the way he looks at us. Oh, he's very aware of our rebellion. He's not naive or ignorant about it at all. He knows it very well. And he looks at us and he says, Oh, the pain, the unnecessary destruction, the decay. They don't have to have that. Look where they're headed. And so he calls us and he just pours out his love upon us constantly. But we shield ourselves from it. It's coming down. Do you know, even when you don't feel the love of God, it's there. That's what he's always pouring out on you. You live constantly engulfed in the love of God. That's who God is.
And when we finally see the love of God, we are changed forever. We will never be the same. He loves us like no human being ever has. Perfect delight in us. That is God's love for us. And when we finally see it, when we finally recognize it, we are transformed. And we will never be the same again. So I want to ask you today, have you experienced the love of God? Have you seen it? Because it's there He loves you and delights in you. If you haven't really experienced it and seen it, then I encourage you to start asking him to help you see it. Because the problem is not, is God loving you? The problem is, you are not on the right connections with him to be able to see it. And it's going to tell us why. Jesus told us why in these verses. Why we so often don't see the love of God. Even though it's there all of the time. So God loves the world. That's the reason Jesus came here. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, became a human being on this planet Because he loves us and wants to deliver us from all of the decay and pain and destruction that we have created in the darkness in which we live. Well, Jesus said, Jesus said, God loves the world. And then he said, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The word here for men means human beings. Human beings love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. And then he gives us some information about ourselves, which help us. This information helps us to to understand why we are lost in the darkness and why some people are unable to see the light. There are some issues. The first one is pride and rebellion. Some of us just, we don't want a sovereign. We want to be in control. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. Some of us are control freaks. We are terrified of anyone else being in control. And so we are going to be in charge. We are going to be our own sovereign We have no idea what others are going to do. We have no idea what God's going to do. So we are going to run our own lives. We are going to be sovereign. You were probably like me when you were a child. And at times, usually it's when I was being disciplined, I would think, I cannot wait 
until I am an adult and nobody can tell me what to do. I became an adult, got married, and got a job. There are plenty of people tell me what to do. You all are slow today. Oh, oh, you don't have to be afraid. We want to be sovereign. And some of us, is that, that's just it. No, no one's going to tell me anything. I'm going to run my own life. I'm going to be in control. Now here, I want to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth here, and you don't have to accept it. But the truth is, You are never in control. It's just the truth. For some of you who have real control issues, I mean, it's a a real major deal in your life. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just telling you, you're expending an awful lot of energy trying to do the impossible. You're never in control because you're just a human being. Human beings were not made to be in control. With all of your abilities and with all of your gifts, you're still a long way from being grand enough to be in control. That's the truth. But there is one who is. He is sovereign. He is the one who created everything. He is the ruler of the universe. And Jesus told us that he loves us. So we have his favor. And you can tell yourself you're in control. You can try to ignore him. You can go your own way and, and act like he's not there, but he is. And the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Because that's the truth. That's real reality. The way things really exist. So for some folks, the issue is pride and rebellion. I'm going to be in charge. For others, Jesus talks about fear and shame. We don't want to come into the light because our deeds are evil, and we are afraid of exposure. What would people think if they knew the truth about me? Shall we just be honest for a little bit? A few hours ago, you climbed out of bed, and you looked like a mess. You did not come to church looking that way, did you? Oh, no, you're not going to let people see what you really look like. So you fixed yourself up, and we're glad you did. 
And you came here and you look fabulous today. But the truth is, some of you have hair that is not the color of what's on top of your head right now. Some of us don't want to wear glasses and reveal the fact that we can't see. So we put in contacts and you can't tell that we're blind. We've had braces and this and that to make us look good. Because we want people to look at us and say, oh, look, they look good. Oh, they've got their lives together. They're, they're doing well. That's what we want people to think when they see us. We don't want them to see all of that stuff that comes from our evil deeds. And from just being a human being in a sinful world. So we try to fix everything up to make it look a lot better than it is. And we start believing it ourselves. We don't want to see it. So we try to stuff all of those evil deeds down. Push them behind us. Keep them away so you never see the truth about my life. I never see the truth about your life. We try to avoid that. It causes us shame. Shame is fear. Fear of exposure. That's what shame is. Shame is not the same thing as guilt. We are everyone guilty before God for our sins. For the destruction we have caused. We're guilty. And the wonderful news, Jesus said, is... If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And when you're forgiven, you're not guilty anymore. Isn't that good news? Not guilty. Absolutely not guilty. But that doesn't mean we don't have shame anymore. Shame comes from someplace else. It does not come from God. Shame comes from the one who is our accuser. In fact, his name means accuser. Satan. Satan. The name means the accuser. That's where shame comes from. He accuses us. And he makes us afraid. Fear of exposure. So we hide in the darkness because people can't see the truth about us if we're in the darkness. So we hide our past. We hide our shame because we don't want anyone To see it, what would they think? And we don't want to see it because we want to believe that we're not as much of a decayed mess as we really are. Shame. So we hide the truth, the truth about ourselves. We live with facades. I, you, you guys know I, I grew up in Oklahoma, out in western Oklahoma, out where and the, the high plains, the prairie, everything's flat. Let me tell you something about flatlanders. We love to see anything that's not flat. 
I mean, flat's okay. I mean, it's interesting. You go, you go there, you look. But once you've seen it, it, you don't need it for hours. You look at the flat, and you've seen it all. It's flat's flat. That's it. And so what an awful lot of people, an awful lot of the flatlanders do for their vacations is they go someplace that isn't flat. Head for the hills, or more preferably, head for the mountains. So we often would go to Colorado because it's not too far from western Oklahoma to Colorado. So we'd go to Colorado. Now what a lot of you guys don't realize who have not driven across Colorado is that about two-thirds of Colorado is as flat as western Oklahoma is. The high plains, the mountains are over, only over on the western side of Colorado. So to get there, we had to drive across the plains forever and ever and ever. It's like sagebrush from here to eternity, as far as you can see, for hours and hours and hours. Out in, in eastern Colorado, though, I don't know if it's still there. It's been a long time since I did this. Out in eastern Colorado, we'd be driving up the highway, and we came to this one place where we were traveling north, and the highway took this huge curve. It must have been about a mile-long curve. Starts taking this huge curve. I was a kid, so it may have only been 100 feet. But it seemed like it was a huge curve, finally heading west to Denver and the mountains. On that curve, there was a huge store. It, it looked like it was about as big as Walmart, only we didn't have Walmart in those days. And this huge store out there in the middle of no place. Everything in eastern Colorado is the middle of no place. And, and you could see it for miles and miles because everything's flat. So you could, there it is, you know. And the closer you get, the bigger and bigger and bigger the big store gets. So here I am a kid. I'm thinking I am bored to death in this car looking at sagebrush for hour after hour. And so we're going to stop and get gas and we'll get to do something interesting. We're going to this big store. So I get out of the car. I go in the big store and... It's small. It's like going into a Wilson Farms or something like that. I'm thinking, what's the deal here? It's so tiny. And I thought this was going to be this big store. So I went out the front door and I went down to the end of the building and went around. Do you know what? The building was just this little building. It had a huge facade on it. But the facade was totally fake, had nothing to do with the size of the building. It was just this huge wall that made all of the gullible tourists driving down the highway think they were going to stop at this big store. That it was nothing but a facade. It was a lie. And we do that to each other. We do that to ourselves. We hide behind facades, afraid to let people see the truth, afraid to acknowledge the truth to ourselves. Fear of exposure. Fear of what God's going to do when we're honest. You know what? God is very clear on the truth about you and me already. The facades don't deceive him. 
for half a second. He sees the truth. And he says, I love you so much that I give my only son that whoever will trust in me will not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. That's what God says, and he sees every bit of the truth about you, probably more clearly than you see it yourself. And he loves you. It doesn't affect his love one tiny bit. He loves you extravagantly. Well, a third a third thing, a third issue for us in coming out of the darkness is fear of more pain. We have all had more pain than we wanted. And we don't want any more. We're afraid that if we come into the light, we're going to have to see the truth about ourselves. If we come to Jesus, we're going to have to pull that stuff out again. And it hurts. So we want to just leave it behind. We've dealt with it. We've left it behind. Now, I've heard many people tell me that. That is not the truth. I know it's not the truth. And people, they don't have to talk to me very long before I can tell tell whether they've really dealt with it or not. You know what happens when we deal with it? It's tied by a rope around our legs. And we go through life doing this. And we say, oh, I'm fine. I don't limp. Oh, I've got no stuff I'm dragging along behind me. And everybody watches us do this through life. And they say, I'm sorry, you've got issues. No, I've dealt with it all. Well, you sure walk funny for a person who's dealt with it all. We do that. Because we don't want to experience any more pain. But let me tell you, when you're dragging a ton of stuff along with your leg, it hurts all the time. Whether you want to admit that it hurts or not. So some of us, we do things to try to numb out to it and, and make ourselves think it's gone. It's kind of like taking aspirins for a brain tumor. It might dull the pain a little bit, but it didn't fix anything. It's still there. Here's the truth. Listen to me. This is so important. Don't be afraid. If you have a brain tumor, are you going to take aspirins? I don't think so. You're going to go to a neurosurgeon. And you're going to hope that the neurosurgeon tells you this tumor is operable. You hope to hear those words. Do you think that operation is going to feel good? Of course you don't. But you're quite willing to go through any amount of pain to get that tumor out of your head so you can heal and be whole again. 
sometimes the healing process causes some pain. That doesn't mean it's bad. It means wholeness is coming. So if, to be honest about your life, you have to experience some pain that you'd rather forget about, don't be afraid. If you're coming to Jesus, he will be with you through every moment of the pain and he will bring you out the other side and he will bring wholeness. He will recreate you. You know how you know when something's healed? I know, we got a doctor here. He may tell me I'm crazy. But anyway, this is my version of how you know you're healed. When, I, when, when Michael was born, I did something really dumb. I thought I parked our van. I did turn it off and get out of it. But I had failed to put it into park. I was a bit distracted, I guess. That was not the dumb thing I did. The dumb thing I did was decide to chase the van as it rolled down the hill. I figured, it's going slow. I can catch it, open the door, jump in, and put on the brake. Do you know, the, the longer a van rolls down a hill, the faster it goes. I did catch it. I did get hold of the door. What I had not counted on was that it hit a sign just at that moment. And the van stopped immediately. And I did not. It threw me to the ground and, oh, that really hurt. But I'm tough, so I'm not going to do anything about it. I mean, I fell down, so it hurt. I went on with my work that day. As the hours went by, it hurt more and more. Karen told me, you need to go to the doctor. You might have broken something. Eh, no, I just fell down. So, by evening, however, I was not in good shape. So I finally went to the emergency room and found out I had broken my collarbone. You know what they do for collarbones when you break them? Nothing. So they put my arm in a sling because it was over on this side. And they said, you, you just keep your arm pretty still and it won't hurt as bad. Well, it hurt. For days, the stupid thing hurt. Do you know how big a collarbone is? They're just little bitty things. I have no idea what it feels like when someone breaks a big bone. So it hurt and hurt and hurt. So I wore the thing. Finally, after, after a few weeks, the doctor says, well, it's healed. I said, well, it still hurts. Well, he said... It's, it's drawn together enough that, that it's okay. It's not going to move. It's, it's connected again. But it's, it will keep on getting stronger and stronger and stronger. But, yeah, you're right. It's not the way it was. Several months later, it didn't hurt anymore. It was well then. It was strong. It was restored. 
If it still hurts, folks, it isn't healed. It's not. If it still hurts, you you may have tried to take care of it, but you didn't. Jesus says, just come into the light. Just come into the light. Just lay it all out there. Is it a mess? Well, of course it is. It's all anybody's got is a mess. It's what rebellion and darkness and confusion and ignorance, what it causes. So, of course, you've got all, all you've got is a mess to lay out there for him. He says, I know it. But I will restore you. I will bring healing. I will set you free. And instead of living, cowering in the darkness, afraid to even let people see who you really are, you have freedom and light and life and joy. For I love you, he says. You can't restore yourself, but I can, and I'm quite willing to. All you've got to do is trust me. So the question for us today is, how much are we going to trust him? Will you give him all of it? Your whole life, let him be sovereign over everything in your life. Will you trust him completely? Because when we do, he floods us with light and sets us free from the pain and the secrets and the destruction and the hidden stuff. So he holds it up to us and he says, come, come. I'm just waiting for you. I know you're afraid. People are that way. But there's no reason for you to be afraid. Come to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so patient and merciful to us. We ask that today, now, we, everyone, would let go of our fear and come to you. Trust you completely, allowing you to be the sovereign of our lives. May we, everyone, see how great is your love for us. May we, everyone, fully experience this everlasting life that comes from you. May we all escape from the fear we have had of trusting you and rest in your arms. Would you help each one of us right now to be aware of where we have been been trying to control and where we have been afraid. And may we place that in your hands. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Creator, the Sovereign of the universe.